0: The Reds and the Mets just finished up a series in which one team played and one team is heading to a cornfield in Iowa. Why this series really convinced me that the Mets are going to win the National League and why the Mets won the trade deadline by doing absolutely nothing at all. Hey, what's up? This is Jeff Carr and Ryan Finkelstein joins me from the Locked On Mets podcast. He covers the Mets every single day for Locked On Mets and also covers all of baseball at JustBaseball.com. I, myself, am just a lifelong Reds fan that has well, suffer for the better part of um, my life, loving the reds. And I've turned an addiction to this team and information for you on the lockdown reds podcast. Thanks for joining us here today on a lockdown crossover brought to you by the On podcast network. We are your team every day. Thanks for making us your first listen. We're free and available on all platforms. And, Ryan, let's, uh, we'll recap this series. I want to tell you why my thoughts are about how good the Mets are. Obviously. I mean, they showed it against the reds. They did exactly what they needed to do, but more than just that, I I really do think they're going to win the national league. We'll talk about the trade deadline, what happened for both sides and just kind of look forward, but let's start with this series because it was domination on all sides of the ball, whether you're talking about pitching, hitting. There were a couple of instances where Reds pitchers were okay for a moment, and it just didn't matter because no matter what they did, it just seemed like death by a thousand cuts. The lineup for New York just did whatever they wanted.
1: Yeah. No, it's one thing that has been amazing this year, really since the beginning of the season is, You've seen really good at-bats up and down the lineup. What the Mets did at the deadline by adding Daniel Vogel back and Tyler Naquin and Darren Ruff is they just got rid of those few guys that weren't giving them good at-bats. And J.D. Davis, Dom Smith, Travis Jankowski. Now, no matter who it is, it feels like everyone gets into deep counts. I saw something where I think the Mets are seeing like 19.4 pitches in the first inning every single year, every single game. That's the average which is insane to think about that the opposing team starter is beginning the game with a 20 pitch inning. That just shows you, like you said, kind of the depth by a thousand cuts. That's what this lineup can do. And they did what they're supposed to when you're facing a team in the Reds that throw out two spot starters and they beat up on them and beat up them big today with the 10 runs.
0: Well, and you mentioned the 19.4 pitches in the first inning on average. I think Taiwan Walker and Carlos Carrasco both threw like a total of 14 pitches in their first innings if you put them both together. The Reds lineup was just not having long at bats. I don't know if they like saw something in the scouting report where they said, "Okay, they're aggressive, they're going to hit the strike zone, so we're going to swing when we see that first strike." And they ended up grounding out a lot. There were a lot of ground outs, a lot of weak fly balls that didn't do anything at all. I mean, you still had some nice days. Like, If you really want to get into it, you had multi-hit day from Joey Votto in the third game after snapping an O for slump for, I think it was O for 13 coming into the third game. And then you had a nice game in game two for Jake Fraley and guys like Donovan Solano. But there was so little else going on because of the way that Mets pitchers handled this. And this was something that we had talked about whenever the Mets came to Cincinnati was that this Mets pitching staff has been so good all year long. And they were getting back their two leaders as the trade deadline came along. So they didn't need to go out and make those big moves. And I erred when I said that the Mets didn't do anything. Cause obviously Tylen Aquin Red, now he's a Met. He killed the Reds in this series. Like you said, Darren Ruff and also Daniel Vogelbach. Um, with those moves, though, I, I think that the Mets did right by just going small.
1: Yeah, they did. And, you know, you mentioned the rotation. To me, that's still the greatest separating factor, as good as the lineup has been since the deadline, which it, it's been amazing and has been carrying this team. What we just saw the last turn through the rotation, it was Scherzer against the Braves to, you know, win that series. Jacob DeGrom then gets a fourth game in that in that five-game set. And he kind of won up Scherzer. He was the like, game with the two runs. He was perfect through five and two thirds or whatever it was with like, I don't know, was it 10, 11, 12 strike? It was crazy. <laughs> I mean, to watch him pitch and look like Jacob DeGrom again, it just makes everyone's like ears perk up like, oh, wait, this Mets team. Wait, wait. Oh, yeah. Remember we were thinking about when they signed Scherzer and it could be Scherzer DeGrom in a playoff series where they could start four of the seven games? That's what's happening now. And then you look at the three guys that went against the Reds this series. Chris Bassett, Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, all of them gave them Mets length in this series. They're able to reset the bullpen. They got an off day before a big series against the Phillies. Like that rotation is so, so good. And I think that's going to really carry them through the final stretch of the season, particularly when they're going to play a lot of teams like the Reds. they got a lot of teams sub 500 on the schedule to close out this year. And that could give them enough of a cushion to maybe catch the Dodgers and finish with the top seed in this league.
0: And that's really where the Reds just got destroyed in this, is that, I mean, they have an injury to Hunter Green. I'm not sure, like I'm guessing he might be back in a couple of weeks, but there's also an argument that he shouldn't be back at all because it was reportedly shoulder fatigue. So maybe just shut him down for the rest of his rookie season. You've got, um, obviously, they trade away Luis Castillo and Tyler Malley. You have injuries to other depth rotation guys like Connor Overton and Robert Duggar, which neither of those guys are really going to inspire you to be like, Hey, the reds could really make some kind of run here, but they are better than the TJ zoics of the world. And <laughs> that's for sure, I definitely want to see more from Justin Dunn, but I'm not necessarily sure that his long-term pro- uh, prognostication is in the rotation. So overall, I mean, the reds were already set up to be outclassed in this series, but you have to tip your cap because baseball, I mean, we know baseball, like there's just some days you get beat by a guy like, TJ Zoich which wasn't going to happen for them today. But that just happens every so often. And the Mets did what they needed to do, because I know that you know that there's been too many times in years past where
1: the Mets don't take care of business. Absolutely. We just saw it last season. I mean, I can't tell you the amount of frustrating series I watched last year with the team that was somewhat similar to this one. You know, they made some additions that have been huge from the offseason. Starling Marte, Mark Canna. You know, to, to see, obviously, Scherzer and Bassett, the rotation additions. But, you know, it, it was still a team that had Francisco Lindor, Brandon Nimmo, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonso. And it's those guys who have been so much better this year, particularly like a Jeff McNeil, who just had a dreadful season, Lindor as well. To see the two of them, you know, play at an all-star level, obviously, Lindor didn't get the nod. But I think you look right now, he's top 10 in F4. He has played like an all-star and really that core – has just been so good this season. And it's why they're winning series after series after series.
0: And that is why I really think the Mets have something going on here. I'm going to expound on that thought here in just a moment. But when it comes to baseball, you and I kind of know a little bit about what we're talking about when it comes to jewelry. I know. I don't know what I'm talking about. What about you? No idea. It's shiny, right? Like, yeah. It means it's clean, I think. Um, Well, you know what? Blue Nile is going to help us out. Because when we're looking for that special gift, um, I've already popped the question. I don't know if you've popped the question yet, Ryan. But, uh, you know, down the road, if you're looking to pop the question. Blue Nile is going to help you out with that. They're going to give you an awesome piece when it comes to you can set it up for one of a kind. You can build all of the aspects out of an engagement ring setting. Or if you're just looking to get a special gift for a special occasion, Blue Nile can help you out as well. They've got jewelers who are on hand 24-7 to answer all of your questions, which in my case was, what's a ring? I I know it goes on your finger. That's it. Um, and that helps. So go to blue Nile.com today. Plus they've got this anniversary sale that is going on that you will save 40% off of their regular jewelry and you'll save 25% off engagement ring settings. That's right. For all you smart shoppers out there, that's blue Nile.com. They've got an anniversary sale going on 40% off regular stuff for your special occasions and 25% off engagement rings. Blue Nile.com also ships free comes in packaging that won't give away what's inside. And you can uh, not worry about it because they're going to help you shop stress-free. That's BlueNile.com today. Thanks again for making Locked On Reds and Locked On Mets your first listen here of the day. And uh, Ryan, before we jump into what I had teased just a moment ago, I know that yesterday was a special day of the ballpark at City Field. And I wanted to get your take on this because there were a number of guys that decided to change their typical walk-up music <laughs> Who was your favorite? Because I'm not going to lie, Daniel Vogelbach walking up to Milkshake was
1: hilarious. That's, I mean, is there any other answer we can even go for here? I I said that Mets fans should start a petition to make sure that that remains his walk-up music for the rest of the season. I love a big guy that can laugh at himself, and that was absolutely hysterical. I actually think before the game, we saw like a full song sheet. And I didn't see Daniel Vogelbach's name on there. And then maybe that's why they wanted the the big reveal as he strutted up to the plate of his milkshake, which certainly brings the fans to the arts. (laughs)
0: Yes, it does. That was so great when I saw that. Cause yeah, there was, there was a couple of classics in there. Like you had, I think it was Brandon Nimmo walking up to man, uh, feel like a woman. And then uh, um, uh, Jeff McNeil walking up to that one Hillary Duff song that my wife knows. I, I don't, I don't uh, admittedly know it, but no, it was, it was great to hear, especially even on the Reds broadcast. There were a couple of times that it, it you know, we got the music caught up and my wife was sitting there like, wait, that's his walk. I mean, no, no, no. It's a, it's a special thing today, but yes, I agree with you. Change Daniel Vogelbach's walk-up song to milkshake. Um, but no, what I had teased is that a series like this just proves the Mets are winning the national league. I know that the Dodgers are deep, and the Dodgers have a lot of talent in their lineup, especially you're talking about a middle of an order that can go up against anybody, but you mentioned it. The Mets have deep pitching. The Mets can throw Scherzer Degrom, game one, game two. You can literally throw a dartboard at the rest of the rotation and pick who's going to pitch in game three and then roll it back again because this is such a talented rotation. Good pitching in the playoffs beats good hitting but when you are supposed to win is when it is the the, the easiest to lose I feel like in baseball in, especially in baseball but the Mets didn't fall for that they didn't fall for the trap of well yeah sure we could take two out of three you know that we're fine with two out of three they kept their foot on the pedal and just absolutely crushed the Reds and it's something like that that lets me know that the Mets are ready to to take that next step. I think that any Mets fan, I I know um, our coordinating producer for locked on Allie Bronson is a huge Mets fan. And she continually tells me to shut up when I tell her how good the Mets are. They're winning the national league that, that I just, I, I'm confirmed after watching this series.
1: Yeah. Uh, Mets fans, uh, you know, we <laughs> have seen a lot. And so it's almost like you don't want the compliment, you know, you're like, yeah, you know, It's almost like if you lost a bunch of weight, you don't want people to say because you're like, God, you're going to jinx me. I'm going to put on a bunch of pounds or something. (laughs) You feel like there's always that, okay, well, here's what's going to happen. Uh-oh, the Mets are going to falter. I've kind of shaken all that this year. I do believe in this team. I do think they're going to win this division. I think that the Dodgers are a really scary opponent in the playoffs, so I don't know if I'm as all in to say they're definitely going to win this National League. But, again, we mentioned the pitching, and – the fact that they could start off the series with the Dodgers and in the first two games, the only three people could, who could conceivably throw a pitch is Jacob DeGrom, Max Scherzer and Edwin Diaz. It gives you a lot of confidence of what they can do. The fact that if one of those guys can go seven or eight and you can have the best reliever in baseball after some of the best starters, that really does change the map for this Mets team. And I, I, I love all the additions that they made at the deadline, as far as the hitters are concerned, this lineup so much deeper I I feel really confident in them, at least in the regular season, in the playoffs, I think they have uh, as good of a chance as anyone.
0: And you've got the situational hitters, plus, you know, fingers crossed, knock on wood, they've got the health too. They have not really run into anything with their lineup, and with Sheridan DeGrom coming back, that's good too. Hopefully that continues because we all want to see DeGrom actually get to pitch the rest of the season and into the playoffs because that will be absolutely phenomenal. But also something that I think – it's easy to get overlooked, and we talked about this off air, is that when it comes to the game of baseball, I think that managers kind of get a little bit too much blame and probably a little bit not enough credit or something like that, maybe too much credit because the players are the ones that affect the outcome. But I definitely think there's something to Buck Showalter's leadership of this team. I I think that he knows what he's doing when it comes to a contending roster and he knows how to put them all in the right positions. I mean, he knew when to come get cookie Carrasco in game two. Not that he was about to fall apart against a kind of struggling Reds lineup. Okay. That was a really Homer statement, really struggling Reds lineup. (laughs) But he knew when to come get him. So when I look at that and I say, this is the guy to lead them, they've got the talent on the roster. This all adds up to me. That's where they're going. They're going yeah. to the World Series.
1: Yeah. I think, you know, everyone wants to talk about Buck Walters never won a World Series. Playoff baseball, come on. Like, it's so hard to win. I don't think, I know people point to like, was like he pulled Darren O'Day or something. I don't know. There was some managerial decision with the Orioles that people will point to and say, yeah, he made a mistake there. Look, Buck Showalter has been at this profession longer than most people have been at their professions. He is better as a manager, and he has done it all and seen it all. To have him come into this team, a veteran team, I don't think the Mets are in the same position if if Luis Rojas is still the manager. It's just not the case. He has had them focus every year not only on the ultimate goal, but they really have taken a series-by-series approach, and that's why you look at their record and – they're, you know, they haven't been sweeping a bunch of series this year. Actually, like this is a good sign that they did this to the Reds. But they've been winning series after series after series, and I think that's Buck Showalter's impact. I, I don't necessarily love all the decisions he makes. You know, sometimes he'll lean on guys where I think, okay, like why did Tomas Nito a couple weeks ago? He batted when there was two runners in scoring position. you had another catcher on the bench, and you had Jeff McNeil, an all-star, just sitting there. Like, why mm-hmm. don't you go to McNeil? But I didn't nitpick about it on my show because I still look at the fact that this team is so competitive every day. And I think Buck Showalter's impact leading them and being, you know, someone who's managing egos and all the stuff that he does behind the scenes, that's way more important than who pinch hit in that spot or which arm he grabbed in the seventh inning.
0: And conversely, on the Reds side of things, in the Reds dugout, David Bell I'm still ambivalent about him, and I was ambivalent about him when they had the roster to contend a couple of years ago. I'm ambivalent about him now whether he can manage a rebuilding team because uh, in game two, the Reds had the bases loaded, and rookie feet, or not rookie, but he might as well be a rookie phenom, Jose Barrero, the guy who's the shortstop of the future for the Reds, was on deck, and then he pulls him, and he puts in a guy whose slugging percentage is somewhere between yours and mine weight uh just doesn't hit the ball if he hits he hits a single period so what i wanted to see there was a young Barrero get a shot and he decides to take that away from him and sure carrasco had dominated him with that slider and there was nothing to be seen from the first three at bats from jose Barrero. but that's where you let the kid try and figure it out and if he fails with the bases loaded so what that's one thing that you know he can come back and learn from instead you set him on the bench and you say watch and then alejo lopez strikes out on three pitches it's it's just there's so much about it And, and, and the result was not what mattered there i thought that even if he got a hit even if he got some rbis i don't know how well that affects jose barrero and that's really where the focus should be how does david bell develop these young guys And I think setting them down because they have three strikeouts isn't necessarily the way to do it.
1: Yeah. You got to understand what the goal is with your team. And when you're managing a team like the Reds who are, you know, 20 plus games under 500, you don't really worry about winning tonight. Obviously you're trying to do the best you can to win. You're not going to be putting your team in a bad position, but you also have to realize that the number one goal right now is to grow the kids. And so I'm st- if 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 I'm managing that team, I'm starting the young players that have a future with the Reds as much as possible. I'm not worried about oh this this left-handed rookie can't fit, you know has struggled so much against left-handed pitching. We'll let him try to 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 face lefties and see if he can either figure it out or maybe you know for sure this guy's never going to hit a lefty when we're trying to win. But yeah, to, to pinch hit for a kid in that spot makes no sense.
0: Well, and even Buck Showalter did that with Daniel Vogelbach. Whenever the Reds brought in Rivar San Martin, he left in Vogelbach to face him. So I was like, even then? I mean, I mean, they were up by seven, I think, at that point, so probably a moot point. And, uh, but he was just trying to get him in at bat, and I think that uh, Vogelbach worked a walk out of it. So all in all, it's, it, it's a very big contrast in management style, managerial presence, and overall managerial... Um, Oh, I just lost the word pedigree. Yes. Gosh, you're in my head. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, that was absolutely the word that I was looking for. So looking forward, definitely feel good about the Mets prospects in the playoffs. Speaking of prospects, there's some uh, guys that I want to talk about. Some guys that the Reds got some guys that the Mets kept um, and, and how the future of these guys look. We're going to dive into those here in just a moment, but I bet you didn't know this, right? When it comes to sustainable weight loss, did you know that the key is to have a healthy liver? I did not know that. No, I didn't know that either until they told me on this uh, ad read. The liver is the body's metabolic furnace. It's responsible for getting rid of harmful toxins and igniting your fat burning metabolism, Unfortunately, most of us have overworked livers for one reason or another, but now it's easy to rejuvenate your liver health and reignite your metabolism. Thanks to the liver health formula by pure health research. And I know that you got some of this in the mail. Have you noticed any results?
1: I have a little bit, you know, curb the appetite a little bit, feel a little bit, a little more energy, feel a little bit, uh, you know, less sick after a big meal, you know, actually I don't even want to go towards the big meal, Uh, So, yeah, some good stuff.
0: That's exactly what it's all about. And the best of all, liver health formula makes it easier to maintain a healthy body weight long term. So what you're noticing now, maybe stuff you're going to be noticing for a while, you can get a free bottle of curb fit too all of our listeners here today if you go to this website you go to getliverhelp.com/ MLb you're going to get a free bottle of the curb fit formula which is an appetite suppressant and you can also try liver health formula completely risk free so go to getliverhelp.com/ MLb to try the liver health formula completely risk free and claim your free bottle of curb fit with your order. Go to getleverhelp.com slash MLB. Thanks again. If you're watching us on YouTube and this is your first time checking us out face-to-face, first of all, hello. You can see that Ryan's the better-looking one. And you can follow us on Twitter because you see our Twitter handles right down below us. You can follow me at Jeff Carr. If you're listening on audio and you can't see us at Jeff Carr with three F's, you can follow Ryan at Finkelstein, Ryan for your Mets takes. He's going to be busy for a while as the Mets are probably going to be going deep into the playoffs, like I mentioned. Um, And also make sure that you're subscribed on YouTube to both Lockdown Reds and Lockdown Mets and click that little bell. So you get notified when we have a new premiere or when we go live, that way you stay up to date on what. We've got for you. All right, right. The future is the focus for the Cincinnati Reds. They proved that very wholeheartedly at the trade deadline, trading away just about everybody. The only guy that they didn't trade away that I thought was intriguing was Donovan Solano, although possibly they were not getting the offers they were looking for for him. So, you know, whatever. He's on an expiring contract and he'll, he'll be a free agent at the end of the year. He can be a mentor for the young guys on the team. But they added a lot of really interesting dudes. Uh, they got Noel v. Marte and Edwin Arroyo, two shortstop guys. And it seemed to be the theme of the players that they acquired were middle infield type dudes. So I'm very interested to see how they all pan out because you're looking at the shortstop of the future and Jose Barrera being in the major leagues right now. And if he does pan out, if he does figure out that that low and away slider, he's not going to hit it. Even if he had a broom in his hand, then he might be the everyday shortstop moving forward And you can move all these athletic dudes around the infield and you have an infield of shortstops and maybe an outfield of shortstops and just everybody's running around like they're Cal Ripken or something. So that would be amazing. But something that impressed me even more than that was the fact that the Mets held on to their big guys, because I know that last time you and I talked, we were talking about some dudes, um, who the Reds could possibly go after in a trade for a bigger name and the Mets were able to hold on to them bar none. They didn't go after any of the big name dudes. How did you assess the way that the Mets attacked the trade deadline from that point of view?
1: You know, I I think that there was a lot of Mets fans that were disappointed because Mets fans can get greedy and they wanted the big names. They see Wilson Contreras uh, linked to the Mets, JD Martinez, and and that's kind of where they set their eyes. But, I thought that what Billy Eppler did was he got you know three pieces that are, are functioning really well in the lineup right now, um, without giving up any prospect that's going to change the fortunes of the Mets farm system. Now these guys were talented. Talented they sent out like Colin Holderman was good for the Mets this year in their bullpen, and the Pirates got him for the Vogel, in the Vogel back trade. Um, there was Mets fans who weren't happy about that, but to me, you're trading a 26 year old reliever. Uh, you got a guy now who's DHing for you almost every day. That's way more impactful than what Holderman would have been to the Mets down the stretch this season. And you look at what they gave up in these other deals. Yeah, they gave up four uh, pieces for Darren Ruff, three arms, in JD Davis. JD Davis needed to change the scenery, doing great out in San Francisco. The three arms they gave up, some talent there, but it's not like they were any of the Mets, you know, top 20, 30 prospects. So I think they did a good job getting pieces in without giving up their main prospects. And the main prospects, are Francisco Alvarez and Brett Beatty, who are likely the starting catcher and third baseman next season. Mark Vientos, who could be the DH. As soon as this year, if they wanted to promote him, they probably could right now. And they also held on to Ronnie Mauricio, who I honestly think they only held on to him because I don't think he had a lot of value on the market. He was a top 100 prospect in some outlets. But man, if you look at his swing decisions, I would be surprised if Ronnie Mauricio ever actually does have a a really long and successful big league career. I'm rooting for him, but... I don't know. So still, though, they held on to all their main chips and moving forward, they'll have you know more flexibility to swing a big deal in the offseason or a next trade deadline. And I don't look at the roster right now and think that they have any massive holes other than their bullpen, but a great starting rotation is going to mitigate the, those concerns in the bullpen a lot anyway.
0: Yeah, and we saw some good performances from guys not named Edwin Diaz in this Red Series. I mean, Adam Modavino looked all right. Seth Lugo, who uh, gave up some runs whenever they were in Great American Ballpark, didn't give up any runs in this series. And, you know, if you can get those dudes to work out for you, plus kind of like you mentioned, there's some other guys maybe middling round, Are there some other prospects that could come up and be bullpen pieces for you probably in September or something like that?
1: You know, I, looking at their farm system, there's not a ton. I think that the two pieces that are really kind of the X factors for this bullpen, Trevor May just came back from injury. We saw him in this series. He ended up loading the bases and he struck out three batters, got out of that jam. That was a huge confidence boost for him. The other guy is Tyler McGill, who was obviously really good. He was the DeCrom replacement on opening day and pitched like the Grom in April, then kind of got hurt and struggled in May and, You know, his numbers for the season don't look entirely great right now, but when they bring him back, he will be a reliever. This is a guy that's a big guy. I think it's like a seven-foot extension, and he's throwing in the upper 90s as a starter. I think the velocity is going to play more out of the pen. So those are the guys that I think really could impact things. And then once you get to the playoffs, you're only going to need four of those starters that we already talked about. So you figure maybe a Taiwan Walker flips into the bullpen as well. I think that's how they figure out to cobble together this pen, but uh, the, the bottom line is they're going to lean on the strength of Edwin Diaz and Adam Adovino and try to cobble together the rest.
0: Yeah, and I, likewise, I was expecting Spencer Steer, a guy that the Reds got from Minnesota for Tyler Malley, to actually get the call instead of Alejo Lopez whenever they place Mike Mustakas on the IL after – game one which i really was kind of worried there after game one because both india and moose get pulled early from that game kyle farmer gets scratched right before the game starts so you're like how many guys are we gonna have on the il now like they've already got like 12 or 13. so the good news was farmer and india weren't serious india continued to play and so did farmer but when they put Moose on there and they brought up Alejo Lopez, I was like, Spencer steer can hit Alejo Lopez can't. So I still think here soon the reds will see steer plus he's 25 years old. He can play multiple infield positions. That's the kind of guy that the reds want and really could plug in at third base if they wanted to and turn Kyle farmer into that super utility role that I think everybody except the reds believes he is best suited for. Yeah. Um, I, I, you know, all power to him. Kyle Farmer has been a gritty, like, you know, blue collar dude that this city loves to rally around, but he is not the guy that is going to be the shortstop or the third baseman of the future. Spencer Steer has a possibility too. So anyway, that's a rant that's coming later on in a, in a lockdown Reds episode. I won't get into that now, but also I think that there's an interesting case to be made for Brandon Williamson. Guy that the Reds got from Seattle in the Eugenio Suarez and Jesse Winker trade. He's a left-handed dude that's big-bodied, got a, you know, decent velocity on his fastball, really good curveball. Be interested to see if they give him a run late in the year. But again, it's weird now because you you say September call-up, but that doesn't mean what it used to mean because you can only call up like two more guys instead of, you know, 25.
1: Yeah, yeah, the the days of the forty man roster all being at the big league level for September, which which is a good thing. I, I mean, yeah. I, I remember where you're now. All of a sudden, they're making pitching changes every single batter, and you got a pinch runner for every time in a late inning. So, it, I think it was a good change. But yeah, that I don't I, the September call up thing is is no longer what it used to be.
0: Yeah, you don't you don't get to load in with the. Guys that the broadcasters are like, well, wait a minute. And I know we read up on him before
1: the game started. Well, what's his name? All right.
0: This guy. Yeah. Number three. Uh, no, it's, it feels it's like spring
1: g- training in September. At least it used to.
0: Well, and from the Reds perspective, that's really almost where they got to be with some of these guys. Just again, you got to let them get reps. You got to see where they are because the future is in the future. Yeah there was a better way to say that take anyway um that probably means it's a good time to end ryan thank you so much for joining us on today's lockdown reds lockdown mets crossover um moving forward who do you think and and i know that you had an episode on this real quick but what do you think the chances are of pete alonzo making that mvp and and standing up on the podium and getting that award
1: I think they're pretty slim that he's going to win the award, but I, my, the whole premise of my podcast and the article I wrote about it is just that this guy's going to get MVP votes, and I think he might finish in the top three. Uh, I think Goldschmidt's kind of going to run away with this one uh, unless something drastic happens the way he's played this year. But Alonzo deserves a lot of credit for the season he's put together, and the way that he could win is if he ends up with like 145 RBIs, which would be – he still has to get about 50 to get there, which is a lot in 50 games, but we could see it conceivably if the Mets end up with the best record in the national league. That's the one way where I could see him have a path to that MVP.
0: Yeah. Be the best player on the best team. That, that sounds yeah. like the MVP to me. Plus, you know,
1: Cardinals, whatever <laughs> Who cares.
0: Anyway, that's a good spot to end. Thank you so much again for joining us. This has been a crossover. Locked on Reds, locked on Mets, crossover here. Um, You can follow us on all podcasting platforms, including right here on YouTube now. Go make your second listen, Locked On MLB. Sully has you covered around the league with his humor, his unique perspective. I mean, dude knows everything about the history of baseball. I'm pretty sure if you ask him about the 1904 Pittsburgh Pirates, he'd tell you something about Honus Wagner. Check it out, Locked On MLB, just like Locked On Mets and Locked On Reds, free and available on all platforms. We'll talk to everybody tomorrow.